0: Welcome, everyone, to another special event of Tea Time with Tommy. And we have, of course, we have no chair, but we have a special guest here, guys. Yes, European wrestling legend, the Rebel. Starbuck is here. Thank you, sir, for joining us on your busy schedule. My pleasure. Absolutely. So let's get right into it, right into it, uh, Starbuck. First question. Uh, what inspired you to become a professional wrestler, to get into the professional wrestling industry?
1: Well, you know, I think I was about six years old back in the day. I was living in uh, Timmins, Ontario. We were the same place where I was born, it's the hometown of Shania Twain also. And uh, uh, we were visiting a family friend's place with my folks. I'm, a, I'm an only child, so I was in the living room. and My folks were in the kitchen with this couple, and pro wrestling happened to be on TV. So th- for the first time that I recall, I uh, laid eyes on pro wrestling, and if I remember correctly, it was a hulking it wasn't Hulk Hogan, but it was a hulking blonde, muscular uh, wrestler in in tights, and and for a, a, a young boy of six, um, I think that every boy out there tries to and, and aspires by innate design to uh, want to how could you say like reach out and identify with masculine power and no, there's no other uh, incarnation of masculinity, which is so prevalent and, and so visceral to a young boy uh, as is uh, muscle and superhero characteristics. So that's where I think like for me, pro wrestling resonated at a, at a very young age and I was able to latch onto that. Um, and it just, uh, it caught my fancy. It was, I just knew right from, that moment, that this was something special.
2: Nice, nice. Thank
0: mm-hmm. you for sharing that. So,
2: yeah, uh, you were trained by the legendary Canadian pro wrestler Lance Storm. He's uh, one of the uh, uh, best Canadian performers out there. i uh, was it like uh, uh, being trained by Lance Storm uh, to get you into the business?
1: What was it like? Yeah, yeah.
2: I w- yeah, I would say. I mean, Lance
1: was a very pedant, uh, very detail oriented, uh, coach. You know, the thing is you know, he just broke it in the 1990 himself. So the thing is him and Chris Jericho, they got in together. And, uh, originally, I mean, they were, they were called sudden impact and, um, I became friends with Chris in Calgary, you know, and, and then I became training partners with Lance at a local gym called the gym. Uh, and for one year. Uh three days a week, we'd go to this gym together and train. And um the one day Lance just said to me, he says that, you know, I see the passion that you have for for this business for pro wrestling. And if you want, I'll train you. And to this day, Lance has never asked for a penny of my money. He trained me out of friendship. And I remember there was a promoter at that time called Ed Langley. Uh, and he's actually, well, the story of Langley is is also uh detailed in in Chris Jericho's book Alliance tale but um the the thing is that Ed Langley hated my guts he just absolutely despised me I was his ring announcer you know I was I was the ring announcer from 1992 from the uh from the fall of 92 all the way to uh through part of 93 because I was dropped for a while because of, of the heat that I had with Ed Langley um and I said to to Lance that, well, you know, Ed hates my guts, and Ed runs the business. And the ring was at this Victoria Park Civic Center in in Calgary. And I said, what if Ed doesn't want me there? And Lance said, well, if Ed's if Ed doesn't want you, then uh, I won't do it. I, I there's another guy coming out from Australia, and he needed a, a a training partner for this guy, right? So I would I was the training partner for the for the guy coming from Australia. And the thing is, this guy from Australia was coming on the off season of the Hart Brothers Wrestling Camp. So there was no class in session. So he would have, like, he had no training partner otherwise. So Lance went to bat for me and, uh, he stood up, stood up for me and, 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 um, the rest is history. So, um, I got trained. My other coaches, Jason, the terrible. So Carl Moffitt from stampede wrestling. So I had two coaches and these two guys were, were the ones that are, you know, responsible for, for launching me into the world of pro wrestling.
0: Story? No, that's an awesome story. Thank you for sharing uh, that with us, Starbuck. Um, I have to ask you, I'm sure a lot of viewers want to know that the name, the Rebel, Starbuck. uh, Wow. Such an amazing, one of the coolest nicknames i ever heard in pro wrestling history. How did that come about?
1: Well, you know, the funny thing is people always ask me, why did you name yourself after a coffee chain? And I say I didn't. I didn't. You know, Starbuck, the reason why I capitalized the B, even though it's one word, Starbuck, is because it's a combination of two words star, which is self explanatory, and buck, which is Southern, like Texas slang for stud or real man, right? Oh. That guy's a buck, right? So that's what it is, Starbuck. And the thing is that I originally kind of took the name from the Battlestar Galactica series, you know, back in the day, it was, uh, What was the name of the guy that, that, um, on the original series, was it Dirk Benedict or whoever it was back, but anyway, back in the, back in the day, the early, uh, the, the seventies version of Battlestar Galactica, you know, there was, um, you know, the Lieutenant Starbuck, you know, and I, and the thing is in 2000, I also started my band Stoner Kings and I figured I don't want to be just like Joe Schmo. I don't want to be just another, another, you know, you know, John, John Doe, you know, I would rather be known as as a character name. Uh, I wanted my guys in the band to have character names like Blackie Lawless from Wasp. That's not his real name. You realize that, right? You know, Nikki Six from Motley Crue, that is not his real name. Alice Cooper is not the man's real name. You know, so the thing is that rock and roll is, is infiltrated or is like perforated with 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 names, artistic names that have no credence to the, the person's real identity. You know? Um so in that sense uh, with me taking an artist name approach to to stoner kings and you know it's like i know i was starbuck my my bassist was gonzo um my guitarists were shank and wolf uh my my my, uh drummer was was named crash you know and the thing is that it's because i did that on purpose i was like i always said stoner kings was like pro wrestling in musical form and, and that's really what it was to me. So the thing is that I, I but I chose the name at that time because of the fact that uh, I, I somehow got this this brainchild of an idea from the Battlestar Galactica series inspired by it. Not that I was ever a fan of the series, but it's just the name Lieutenant Starbuck or Captain Starbuck, whatever. And I thought to myself, that sounds cool. You know and, and then I just thought I just took it and then I just gave it my own twist. Which, like I just explained, was star, which is self-explanatory. Buck, which means
0: real man or stud. And you are a stud, sir. Absolutely, no denying That's that. It.
1: I'm, well, <laughs> well, you know the thing is, I always say that I'm the last of a dying breed. I'm one of the, I'm one of the dinosaurs, you know. Because nowadays, you know, with all the gender obscurity and the, the 72 gender identity identities in the in, in Canada alone and whatnot, it's like I actually posted something on Facebook the other day, which I thought was really funny. It tickled my own fancy at least, and it was that you know now nowadays that we all get to choose our own pronouns oh well, you can just call me boss or king <laughs> you're both
2: that is still true <laughs> yeah. yeah that, that is, is part of true. boss king yeah, especially these days. <laughs> yeah boss king
1: there you go That's your new name band. your new name boss new band. Yeah. yeah boss king
2: yeah. yeah there's so much a moniker uh, in professional wrestling right now there's like so much shows and so much promotions and uh, mm-hmm. yeah I mean every, every time like we see an up and coming wrestler there's, there's always a moniker that they always uh, you know um, take from uh, another uh, source or like another name from the past so it's, mm-hmm. it's, it's unique it's so vast right now in the industry
1: well the thing is it's like whatever has been done before is it, it's tried and true you know that you got to realize that you know all the great stars that there's you know Jake Roberts said it so well He said that these guys today will never connect on the level that his generation connected, the macho mans, the Jake, the snakes, the honky tonk mans, the Hulk Hogan's people like this. They connected on a very deep level with people. Whereas today the difference is that, uh, with people's ultra short attention spans due to the social media influx and just everything being easy in, easy out fast food culture, um, with Google, you know, your response comes at the in, in a fraction of a second. You don't have to think for yourself. You don't have to like really see any trouble or go through any trouble to get your answers to to find things out. Um, it's way too easy. Everything's just it's become automated, um, and I think that's reflected in the fact that wrestling nowadays, people they don't have the attention span uh, or the patience um, to go through a uh, how could you say like an 80s style match um they would find it maybe perhaps boring and now i i i think that that's actually maybe a a fallacy in and of itself because i think that if you have two guys that can really do the job correctly um Is Whatever flew back then will still fly today Because first of all, what's old is new And second of all, the guys today and the girls today Can't wrestle that style anymore So if you have two people that go out there and wrestle Let's say like Billy Robinson, Dory Funk Jr. If you had two guys who can actually do that job With a modern flair, like with with giving it a modern twist I think people go gonzo bonkers for it And I think it was proven with uh, Walter and Ilya Dragunov in in nxt you know nxt uk is that they went out there they did this like very similar match to let's say what something like rick flair versus ronnie garvin would have been in 1987 they beat the living fuck out of each other excuse my french but uh they they, they beat the living tar out of each other and and the thing is that that match was talked about to a large degree by all the the people like Shawn michaels triple h and all them that went online and 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 actually you know gave them praise and kudos for that because of the fact that it stood out it was an entirely different breed of animal than what you see today uh in either wwe or then in uh in AEW or on the indies or even largely what you would see in even new japan I mean, it was a different breed of cat. It was a throwback. That match was a throwback. So the thing is that whatever is old is actually new nowadays. This is an, it's an old wisdom. It's always been around. Um, but the, the problem is that you have so few of these guys and girls that can do this style. Maybe Serena Deeb in AEW. Now I know Serena from my time in Japan. We you know we work for the same company, and she, I think she's the best female wrestler today in North America. I think nobody can touch her, no matter how much you know they ballyhoo over Becky and uh, Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair, people like that, and they say that they're great. Yeah, and they are. They are. They're 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 really good. Um, or even Thunder Rosa in AEW, but nobody can touch Serena Deeb. Serena is a cut above. And if you know the business, if you know what you're looking at, if you're a booker, if you've been in the industry for a long time, you have a critical eye to be able to assess and see and like break down what you see. You will know who is worth their stock and who is not, who's carrying the ball and who is like carrying the flag into battle. Who is the leader and who is the follower? And Serena Deeb is cut above the rest. And But I'm just saying that with people like Serena and Walter, there are so few of these around today. That that's why uh, most of the newer talents will choose to do something which relies on what we call the dopamine kick, which is just spots. So you give the the brain something to visualize, the eyes something to visualize, which then transfers to your brain. Your brain releases dopamine, and it's the same dopamine kick that you get from, let's say. Um, that you get from social media likes if you're you know like a social media junkie and you, you live off your followers and your likes and your comments and shit like that or if you know this it's the same thing that happens when you view porn it's the same thing that you know when you inject heroin you know it's that it's it honestly it is it's a dope being in your brain Is wired a certain way to respond to certain stimuli and with wrestling with everything just one fantastic move after another i just watched nxt war games the the latest one from this past weekend today uh and i looked at the guys match the girls match was just garbage but the guys match was really good Uh, and i was really surprised at how good it was but the thing is that it was one dopamine kick after another And it's just the way that it's that it is nowadays they 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 don't know how to slow down they don't know how to pace it or then they they don't have the patience to do so or then they're not even allowed to do so so that's where jake the snake said just coming back to what i was just referring to a second ago was jake said that the guys nowadays will never get over like the people of his generation because in his time they connected with people's emotions they triggered your emotional register. They 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 hit you in you know on your heartstrings. But today, all they're doing is they're popping your dopamine level, and that's why dopamine is very. Uh, how could you say it's very um, uh, selfish, right? Your 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 brain once it gets the dopamine kick, it's like, oh, that was cool. Okay, what's next? It doesn't care what, what it saw a moment ago. It, that, that kick is gone in a flash. It's up and down. It's like jerking your, it's like jerking your um your your blood sugar up and down, right? You know, and 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 uh, you know eating like energy drinks or drinking en- energy drinks and whatnot, right? That that's really what it is. It's just it's it's throwing your blood sugar out of whack, your glycogen levels. Um, but the thing is, that's where everybody remembers Hulk Hogan, Ric Flair. Everybody remembers the Four Horsemen everybody remembers uh jake the snake roberts doesn't matter how many matches jake ever won but everybody remembers him right and this is why is because they touch you on an emotional level that's what's missing i think in wrestling these days actually
2: well put. excellent insight thank you for sharing that um speaking of another uh wrestling legend uh you've you've worked a lot uh with tajiri the Japanese oh, yeah. buzzsaw. Uh, <laughs> you've, uh, you've had matches with him all around the world. Um, mm-hmm. what, uh, what does he mean to you in your career and uh, the experience working with him?
1: Well, you know, the thing is that uh, in 2010, I brought Tajiri to, to Finland. Um, I, I formulated this deal with, um, it was the biggest nightclub chain in Finland at the time uh, for an annual wrestling show that, that, uh, that I came up with uh, in 2006 called the winter war. And, um, the thing is that I was, because I, I made this deal with this, uh, with this nightclub chain, uh, they kind of went into into the deal with me and they gave me a budget and they gave me a price and they threw some money down on the table and they said, get us a star. That's going to draw people to this event. And I thought to myself as a kid, you know, as I was sitting there like a kid at a candy store and I'm thinking to myself that who am I going to ask who's available at that time in 2010 at the end of 2009, actually, this is like when it, when they, when I made the deal. And the thing is that at the time, uh, guys like, let's say Sean Morley, Val Venus had just been let go by WWE, um, uh, like the the WWE product was just off of tv in 2009 in finland they they got dropped from from uh, free access television uh and i thought who's going to be fresh enough and i thought to myself well people will still remember like you know the 80s they'll still remember maybe honky-tonk man you know he was still around you know and, and available back then and things like that and then at some point i just i thought to myself to well he was just there i think he he was let go in 2007, at the beginning of 2007, if not 2006. And I thought to myself that in Finland, uh, we we had um, SmackDown on television since 2002. And the thing is that people would still probably remember Tajiri because he was there for about five, six years. And he was featured rather well. So uh, it came down to actually choosing between Hockey Talk Man and choosing between Tajiri. Hmm. And, and I think that I made the right choice with uh, Tajiri because the thing is that I brought him here. I had this match um, and, and it was like over 20 minutes that we, that we wrestled. And then the people were red hot for it and the place was popping. Um, had about 300 people on hand, which is not all that big, but then you got to take into consideration that like in Finland, wrestling is a fringe product. It's, it's a fringe product. It's a fringe thing because it's it hasn't been here. It's like domestically, we've only had wrestling now in Finland for 18 years, since since 2003. So um, we have no culture. Like in, in England, they've had it for like 100 years, not here, right? So the thing is that uh, 300 was still a decent house. And and the thing is, the people were, like I said, they were red hot, They're screaming and yelling and coming out of their seats. Um, and after the match, Tajiri says to me, you want to go to Japan? I said, hell yeah, I do. And he says, I think the Japanese people would really like your charisma. And that's the one thing that the reason I got booked and the reason why I uh, convinced the wasn't just like my wrestling prowess, it was over and above that it was the number one factor that I understood what he's looking for in talents because he just started this company or he was, he was going to start this company called Smash uh, was charisma, and the funny thing is that I, I debuted for his company uh, in it was the twenty fourth of July two thousand ten, and. On the same day, I wrestled two matches. There was this afternoon show, and then there was an evening show. In the afternoon show, I beat Hajime Ohara. And then on the evening show, I defeated Tajiri, and I took back the finished title off of him. He had, he had beaten one of my students for it uh, prior to that, a couple of months prior to that. And then uh, I came back, and I took it off him. And I became a star overnight in Japan. It's literally an overnight sensation. After that, all the medias were talking about me. Tokyo Sports, talking about me. right? Samurai TV, talking about me weekly pro wrestling talking about me and at the end of the year in, 2000, in 2010 weekly pro wrestling magazine at the time the only pro wrestling magazine in the country the only one they used to have weekly gong and all those before they're, they're done i mean there's only one magazine there. so but the readership of that magazine Voted amongst all companies like All Japan, New Japan, Noah, whatnot, this, that, the other, for the top matches of each company, uh, the best match of the year, the MVP of the year, wrestler of the year, this, that, the other. Um, I was voted in that magazine uh, in the top five most popular gaijin amongst all companies in Japan. I mean, on the same list, like you got Kenny Omega, right? I was wow. in the top five. Wow. I'd been there for only, for only seven months. Wow. Or no, no, sorry, sorry. Not, not seven months. Uh, Like I said, July. So that's, I'd been there for just over five months. And they'd, uh, so you understand, like it was astronomical. My rise to, to, to to public acclaim was, was meteoric and the people just loved me. And, and I asked, you know, I was, I was really taken aback by this and I, I asked so many people. I asked the, the production, the TV production people from Broncos. Broncos was the company that, that filmed smash. And they also filmed uh, all Japan. Nowadays they do new Japan. Um, but, um, I, I, asked them and then I asked my good friend. He's the, nowadays he's the uh, doctor for new Japan, but his name is a Terasaki, Tarasaki. And, uh, he's a cardiovascular surgeon in Tokyo. Uh, I asked him and he's, he's a good friend to this day. I asked some other people and I, I asked them all the same question: Why do the people in Japan like me so much? Why am I so popular? Because I didn't understand it. Because I don't believe my own bullshit. And they all said the same thing. They said charisma. They said it feels like you're up here, and all the Japanese people are looking up at you, and they're trying to reach you. They're trying to. They're trying to extend their arms. To reach you to touch you but they can't reach you that's what it feels like and i don't know it's maybe it's just there's an innate quality in some of us you know it's like maybe it's a cultural thing maybe it's uh maybe it's in my upbringing maybe it's in my personality my character maybe it's my personal faith in jesus christ i don't know but i don't know what it is but the thing is that i have something that the japanese identified with on mass Which made me a star overnight in that country, uh, which I'm eternally going to be grateful for. I mean, my my time in Japan, more or less, was a four-year period that I was the top gaijin for, for Tajiri's companies, WNC, Wrestling New Classic, and for Smash. I was the top gaijin for him and his companies. I was propositioned by New Japan Pro Wrestling in 2012. They said that you are now at the point where you have to make the move. You've got to come over. And, and I said, I, I went to lunch with them and I, I sat there and I said to them, you know what, Mr. Tajiri needs me now more than ever because he had just lost his money man with smash and he had just started WNC and he had another money man, but the money wasn't as as much as it was in smash. And, and the thing is that he had restructured his business and he's starting over again. And, but he had opened the door for me to come to Japan. I said that Mr. Tajiri uh, has, he needs me now more than ever. I'm his top Gaijin. I am his top foreign wrestler. I cannot leave him now. I turned down New Japan out of loyalty to stay loyal to to To, Jiri wow. to help him build his company. I had the chance to go to New Japan.
0: Wow. That Amazing. Huge uh no that that you know that's a huge um, you know, a major props to uh, to you, sir, for that, for staying loyal. It's a lot of people in sports especially pro wrestling that you know loyalty is tough to come by but what you did for him that's uh that's amazing it's amazing
1: well you know the thing is I remember I, there was a guy called Matsuzawa who used to be one of the smash and WNC uh the office guys and uh he was you know he spoke English w- well and and he was uh he always liked to hang out with the wrestlers and, and sometimes you know with the office guys we'd go out for dinner or go out for lunch or whatever and one day Matsuzawa he took me out and And we had this talk and I said that, you know, the wrestling business is full of good wrestlers, but that's not really what you're looking for. You're looking for good people. Mm. And if you find a wrestler who's a good wrestler and a good person in the same package, then you hit the jackpot. But these are not, these, these, they don't grow on trees. They don't, they're not easy to come by. There's a lot of real pricks in the wrestling business. A lot of, a lot of assholes a lot of people that sell their mother or their grandmother down the river to get over on you. You know? So the thing is, it's like, I I think that's the whole thing is that, that if you know you're going to be known for your, your reputation in any industry whatsoever, but people will know you for your reputation. If you establish a solid reputation where somebody knows that you're rock solid, when somebody knows that when they look in your eyes, they shake your hand uh, when they, when they converse with you, when they when they're around you, they know there's something about just like the animals, you know, it's like wolves. Wolves can smell fear, and they'll tear you apart if they smell fear. Uh, but the same thing can be said with human beings—that there's something that sets us apart. Where you can somebody who's who's let's say a racist, you don't have to even have them talk. There's something about them that will emit that vibe that these people it's just not it's just not doable and that's where i think that like uh if if there's some you know if somebody's a good person if somebody's a decent human being if somebody's a quality individual uh they don't have to go out there you know wear that on their sleeve but it's gonna show in some way shape or form it always does because what's on the inside always permeates the outside
0: Absolutely. And uh thank you for uh sharing that story with us, Starbuck. Wow, that's, that's amazing. It touched my heart, your story there. <laughs> it touched yeah, my definitely. heart. I yeah. was gonna I was gonna uh, you know, I was almost gonna start crying. I don't wanna do that right now. <laughs> um but no, that was an amazing story, thank you.